What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Okay, make a photo of a CEO and enter. All right, results. Oh, it made four different pictures and all of them appear to be light-skinned men in suits. Okay, do that again. Photo of a CEO and four more people who look like men to me. This is my very first time using an AI image generator. It's through a free website on my laptop. Essentially, it's an AI model like ChatGPT, but instead of creating AI-generated text, it produces AI-generated images. I type into a search box what I want to see, and a few seconds later, it produces pictures that the model believes are what I'm asking for. All right, let's do this again. Photo of a physician. And looks to me like men, but in lab coats and scrubs. Oh, and you know they're doctors because they all have stethoscopes around their necks. I requested images for several different jobs and repeated the requests at least 10 times for each one. The results were eye-opening. Almost all the images of CEOs and doctors the model produced, at least when I was using it, appeared to me to be men. All nurses and almost all teachers appeared to be women. By the way, I'm saying appeared to be women or men because these images are of people who don't actually exist. And so identifiers like gender, race, and ethnicity are subjective. And we'll talk more about that a bit later. Most images of attorneys the model produced look to me to be light-skinned men. Images of scientists appeared to be more diverse, but they also mostly looked like men. And this is really weird. When the model did generate pictures of attorneys or scientists who looked to me like women, They were very often shown dressed in traditional men's clothing like business suits and wearing neckties, as though the model couldn't fully accept the concept of a woman in those professions. AI sometimes generates a distorted version of reality that doesn't look like the world we live in, and it can perpetuate gender and racial stereotypes. This matters because, as we know, AI is fast working its way into our lives, and AI-generated images that can make us believe something artificial is actually something real may be especially influential and potentially harmful. So we're looking at a situation where we're generating more and more content via AI, more and more of these synthetic images. Those images become a part of the body of images, the body of work that's on the internet. They are more biased than reality. And then in the future, those images get fed back into future AI systems so that you end up in this, you know, nasty cycle where the bias is getting worse and worse and being fed back into future systems, which are then less diverse. So there was a recent Europol report that suggested that by 2026, 
90% of all online content could be artificially generated. What happens when 90% of all online images are images reinforcing those stereotypes? Bloomberg's Dina Bass and Leonardo Nicoletti dug deep into the data to find out why the results look like this and what can be done to fix the shortcomings of this rapidly emerging technology. I'm Wes Kosova. Today on The Big Take, why you can't trust your eyes when it comes to AI. Leo, maybe you can start by just giving us an overview of what you found in this investigation. This investigation essentially looks at generative AI, which is a new type of AI. It's like ChatGPT, where you ask it a question and it just answers you or gives you the information you need. In our case, we use stable diffusion, which is uh, similar to ChatGPT, but it's instead of text to text, which means like using text to generate more text, it's text to image where you ask it a question or give it a description and then it will generate an image for you um, of uh, what you're looking for. And uh, while, you know, that gives us lots of possibilities and, and opens lots of doors for work, for design, for artistic advertising, lots of purposes. What we found is that it also has very strong biases against people of color, uh, women in general. And um, so what we wanted to show through this piece is really how biased uh, is generative AI and specifically um, generative AI that creates images and visual representations. And, um, you know, to what extent are these biases ingrained in this technology and, uh, you know, what are the potential implications of that? This is significant because it's different from the kind of facial recognition that we already know about. Is that right? It is. So somewhere around 2018, we we started finding out that facial recognition software had significant racial and gender biases. And what that software is, you have a picture, an image, and the AI scans it and tries to predict what's in it. You know, what am I looking at? Is it a black cat? Is it a cheeseburger? Is it a white woman? What am I looking at? In 2018, a couple of researchers, uh, Joy Bulamwini, Timnit Gebru, and then uh, Deborah Raji, combined to do some work called Gender Shades, where they ran a bunch of the popular facial recognition programs, ran tests on them, and found that their performance was significantly worse on people of color and significantly worse on women of color. So we've known that that's an issue. And it's cropped up in real-world scenarios. There have been situations in the U.S. where Black men have been mistakenly arrested because they were flagged by facial recognition software. It turns out it was some completely different person. So we know that's a problem. Generative AI is a new type of AI, and it's a new wrinkle. So instead of AI that scans existing pictures, it's creating new ones. And that, we found, also has significant racial and gender biases. So the additional you know, significant issue that this raises is we're now using artificial intelligence to create massive volumes of new content, then put out into the world for use. That new content is demonstrating racial and gender bias. And we're adding to a body of content out there, using it for reports, using it for, you know, clip art, uh, for presentations, and it is significantly biased. And Leo, how did you go about finding this bias in this new form of generative AI? As a um, half reporter, but also half former scientist, academic, and just coder, 
the fact that the, many of these models, um, generative AI models, are open source was actually very useful for just researchers in general, but also reporters, because it gives the possibility for anybody to download the generative AI model, in our case, Stable Diffusion, and ask it to generate images. And so what I did is I simply went on the Hugging Face platform, which is this really interesting and very useful platform that is come out recently that hosts all of these models, including open source versions of GPT, for example, and Stable Diffusion. And I downloaded the model and uh, then I wrote some code to basically iterate through a series of very well-known high-paying and low-paying jobs and also different criminalized activities and just ask the model a very simple question. Can you generate color photograph of blank? And blank is a judge, uh, an engineer, uh, a janitor, a housekeeper, a fast food worker for professions, for example. And for criminalized activities, we looked at three of them. So blank would be a terrorist, a drug dealer, or an inmate. I let my computer run for actually an entire month because it's very computationally heavy to generate thousands of images for each of those keywords. Uh, so that was the first step. So you would just say to it, make me a picture of a CEO and then see what it came up with? Exactly. But the idea was to do that exact same thing thousands of times so that instead of you know, having anecdotal evidence that the AI might be biased, we would actually gather a database of images of the same thing over and over and over. Basically, that would allow us as reporters and as data scientists to then analyze those thousands of images and actually find a pattern across those images. So that's exactly what we did. And what is the pattern that you found when you typed in CEO, when you typed in fast food worker, all of the other things you mentioned, and then asked it to show you pictures thousands of times, what did it turn up? So the pattern is uh, a very stark pattern. It's that for high paying professions, the generative AI model is overwhelmingly generating pictures of white men. And for low-paying professions, it's overwhelmingly generated more pictures of women and darker-skinned people. So in our analysis, we couldn't really talk about race because race is very hard to quantify in images, especially when you have images of fake people, essentially, that can't really self-identify. So you can't say, this is a Black person or this is an Asian person. But what you can do is rigorous, scientific analysis where you do things like average all the pixels of a person's skin across all of the images of one profession. And for example, doing that, what we found is that the pattern of darker skinned subjects being overrepresented in low paying professions and lighter skinned subjects being overrepresented in high paying professions. Uh, and the same goes for criminalized activities where you have uh, darker skin tones uh, constantly and systematically being represented in criminalized activities. Dina, Leo was talking about stable diffusion. Exactly what is that and how does it work? So stable diffusion is a uh, text-to-image program that is open source. 
It's distributed by a company called Stability AI. And the version that we used is, Leo mentioned, hosted on Hugging Feast, which is basically a repository of open source AI models. So some of your listeners may have heard of GitHub, which is a repository of programming code. Hugging Face tries to be sort of like a version of that for AI models. And a lot of your listeners may have actually heard of a different image generation program, which is OpenAI's DALI. DALI 2, the second version of it, came out in wider distribution uh, last year in around July. It was announced a bit earlier than that. And that was also very popular and attracted a lot of attention. Stable Diffusion followed that and came out as an open source version. And because it was open source, it's been very widely used. In order to use the OpenAI version you, for, you know, um, commercial applications, you have to work with OpenAI, you have to pay for that. And so it's a little different. I just want to talk for a minute about why we did not look at OpenAI's DALI, and that's because it's not open source. So we can't tell what is in the training data for DALI in a way that we can for stable diffusion, and there are greater limits on what you can do with it. It was sort of difficult to look at the bias there. And Dina, by open source, what exactly do you mean? So it's basically the opposite of proprietary software. It's freely distributed, it's openly distributed, anyone can download it, use it. And in the case of AI models, you have greater freedom to play with it, uh, to tweak different parts of the AI model to what you need. You can see exactly the code or the data that is going behind an AI model, and you can see the different versions of the model over time. And that's very important for people who are trying to improve these things because you can basically have some sort of version control. So control for, okay, the previous version used to be like this and now we've improved it and now we can see clearly the difference between the new version and the previous version. Actually, for this story, we did interview prominent academics within this field and they've all really stressed this point that one of the only ways to address the problem of bias is to start by having open source models because then those models can be taken by other academics or other organizations that are also transparent and whatever they do to them uh, to quote unquote improve them is now again made transparent, made uh, very publicly known and available to yet more academics to improve upon it again. There's also greater auditability. The reason that we were able to run this experiment on stable diffusion is that it's open source. So, you know, we obviously found some, some significant problems, but there is that auditability. You don't have that with OpenAI's Dolly. And so again, OpenAI has said that they're taking steps to address representation and make sure that the outputs are representative, but you kind of have to trust them because you don't know what they're doing. After the break, what's the data set behind these AI-generated images? Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline, it's teamwork, and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. 
Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. We know from everything we've been hearing all about ChatGPT, now GPT-4, that it takes as its source enormous amounts of data that exists on the internet. What is the source material for generative AI when it comes to images? So uh, the source material for most generative AI's models, these so-called large language models, is basically the entire internet. In simple terms, it's everything that's been posted on the internet in the past uh, 10, 15 years. The way that works is that there is a data set called Lion, which basically collected URLs to images or text for the past 15 years all over the internet. When you're training on data from across the entire internet, as most of us know, there's a fair amount of unsavory stuff out there on the internet. And, you know, there's been some academic work done on the earlier version of this data set, this Lion data set, that found, you know, pornography, violence, again, racial and gender bias. When certain terms that were associated with certain races were used, it was much more likely to bring up an image uh, that was sexualized. So there are a lot of problems within that data set, and it is an openly available open source data set. And so the viewpoint of the people behind it is, look, you know, you should use this for academic work. If you're using this in a commercial product, you've got to actually take some responsibility for the content. And we've made some not safe for work filters. There are steps you can take. But, you know, when you're training a model on a large volume of data from across the entire Internet, there is a lot of unsavory stuff in there. And there are way, way too many images in this data set for anybody to go through it and make sure that they're cleaning it up. Dina, what does Stable Diffusion say about your findings, about this bias in their data? We reached out to Stable Diffusion and explained what we were finding. And they sent us an, an emailed statement from a spokesperson saying that, quote, all AI models have inherent biases that are representative of the data sets they're trained on. And by open sourcing our models, we aim to support the AI community and collaborate to improve bias evaluation techniques and develop solutions beyond the basic prompt modification. The company also told us that, you know, they have sort of an initiative to develop some open source models that will be trained on data sets that are specific to different countries and cultures. And so part of the argument the company was making is that the open source nature of what they're doing will enable them to address some of these issues by getting more and more data that is more diverse than what they currently have. Dina, we can see why bias would be so harmful, especially when it comes to images which are very powerful. What are some of the real-world downsides that we see with the possibility of fake images, bias images, being proliferated all over the world? There's an issue of deep fakes, things that are meant to mislead people, misinformation that you can't tell is AI-generated. 
With the specific issue of bias, there's a number of issues that crop up here. One is a representation one. So if we're going to start using all of these synthetic generated images for brochures, for advertisements, for marketing materials, and we're already seeing that, what happens when the marketing materials have all the CEOs be white men? Doesn't that worsen the, the situation that we already have? You know, one of the things that we found in this experiment was that the bias in the um, unstable diffusion was actually worse than the real world. So we know that there are fewer female CEOs, but the number of female CEOs that were being generated in these experiments was even lower than the real world. So we're looking at a situation where we're generating more and more content via AI, more and more of these synthetic images. Those images become a part of the body of images, the body of work that's on the internet. They are more biased than reality. And then in the future, those images get fed back into future AI systems so that you end up in this nasty cycle where the bias is getting worse and worse and being fed back into future systems, which are then less diverse. So there was a recent Europol report that suggested that by 2026, 90% of all online content could be artificially generated. What happens when 90% of all online images are images reinforcing those stereotypes? One of the main impacts uh, it is can really affect people's mental health and how they project themselves into the world and, you know, what kind of jobs that they see themselves doing in life. So that's a really big issue that, that, that can definitely be uh, reinforced by this problem. When we come back, how can artificial intelligence become more intelligent? Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Steeple and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Steeple's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Steeple last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Dina, earlier Leo said that these open source models have one advantage, which is that everybody is able to kind of work on them and improve them. And if you are, say, at an advertising agency making a brochure and you ask it to create a CEO and it's a white male, can't you say, no, that's not the image I'm looking for, that there's a certain amount of responsibility of people who are generating these images not to just simply accept what the 
generative AI bot spits out? When we talk about AI bias, a lot of the quote-unquote blame for it gets put on the data sets. There needs to also be accountability from users at all levels, and that includes the people that are creating the models, the researchers that are working on the models, who have their own biases that get kind of imprinted on these models. And it includes the people that are using them at the end of the day. It's not totally clear to me that you can currently use these models that effectively to even specify in that way and get the output you want. So, Dina, what can actually be done to fix this? We talked earlier about how there's a lot of work being done to improve these models. One of the things that needs to be done is increased diversification of the data set. There needs to be a way to get data from other countries, other cultures. And there needs to be, to be clear, a way to do that um, that's ethical. There have been projects or companies that have tried to source a more diverse set of data, but they've done it in unethical ways. They've tried to get images of people and they've done it without consent. This sort of cropped up in the facial recognition era when people were trying to fix those systems. There's also a question about the largeness of all of these models. So the current trend in AI is that bigger is better, that the only way to do these kind of foundational models is to have the sum total of the internet dumped into the training data. There are people working on ways to do better, smaller models, in which case you have greater control over what is in the data set and you can do things that are more targeted. If we move to optimizing the technology where you don't just have to add more volume in order to have a better performing algorithm or model, that could help as well. Leo, as somebody who is deep in this data and watching how it's developing very rapidly. What are you watching for as this keeps unfolding? One of the most interesting developments is really the open source versus closed source models and, you know, which are going to become the status quo because, you know, it's, it's not clear right now. It's very easy to use closed source models in some way because they have better user interfaces and they market it better. And, uh, you know, it's this for profit. So they have all these ways to kind of like get really mainstream. But at the same time, the open source models are being used by millions of people, not just people, you know, that are using them like as a developers or, or researchers. Uh, and then we also see private companies adopting open source models as opposed to closed source models uh, because they actually recognize the fact that they can build on top of those models within their systems. It's very unclear and um, it will be interesting to see if five, ten years from now, generative AI has become completely a closed source thing because it's easier to regulate. You can just regulate private companies and uh, tell them what to do. Or it's become an open source thing because there's more transparency and it's easier to, to see if things are getting better or not. Leo, Dina, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Wes. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicky Bergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Federica Romaniello is our producer. Our associate producer is Zenab Siddiqui. Rafael Amsili is our engineer. Our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back tomorrow with another Big Take. 
What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.